You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Normally I wear like the headset mic because I use my hands when I preach. So I'm going to see how I go today because I only have one hand and I have to like scroll through my notes. So we'll see if it works. Um, I think Gabby should do the announcements more often. She like releases prophetically. She does like a mini preach. I can probably just sit down straight away. She's already said so many good things. Um, How exciting to be together on Mother's Day. I'm excited to be able to preach on Mother's Day. It's always a privilege to get up and to preach. Um, I think like it's already been said this morning, but, you know, today and this preach today, this is not a preach for mothers. This is a preach for all of us. This is God speaking to all of us. Um, And so I want to encourage us before we start this morning to open up our hearts, you know, to open up our minds to be able to hear what God's saying, because I haven't tailored a preach that's just, you know, all about the mums. This is for all of us. And I really feel like God's wanting to speak and move today. So... Mother's Day, yeah. Oh, also, can I just tell you one thing? This is not spiritual at all. It's I just find this funny. So this morning, my children, you know, they give you the Mother's Day um, gifts and things. In the morning, I had my breakfast in bed. I had a smiley face breakfast, um, which is very good because I'm not like a morning person. So I was like, yay, breakfast in bed. And I got given, if you can see, a little bracelet that says, Mum, but the thing that makes me the most happy about this gift is that um, it's, it's M-U-M, but the U is upside down. So when I put it on this morning, I was like, oh, that's weird. I must have put it on the wrong way. So I flipped it around and I was like, no, no, it's still the wrong way. So now my bracelet either says, wow, or minim. And the bit that makes me happy is that you'd probably thinking, oh, that's cute, though, because your kids made it for you. And, you know, no, no, my kids didn't make this. It came from the Mother's Day stall, which means there's a mother out there who spelt it wrong. <laughs> and I just feel like that makes me even happier than that my children made a mistake. I don't know why. Just taking joy at the small failures of other mums. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Woo, jeez, okay, I should start talking about Jesus. All right, whew, okay. So, mums, being together, I'm assuming that for a lot of you today, after church, we're going out for Mother's Day. You know, we might be going out to lunch, maybe for dinner. For those of you who have, you know, double family, you might be going to your mum's place and your mother-in-law's house. We get to spend time together in homes today, which I think is cool. There's something special about being at home with the people that you love. I feel like when you invite people into your home, you know, you're showing them a part of who you are. It's your safe space, and I think it's a way that you get to invite people into that place and be part of that. And when you get an invitation to go to someone's house, I feel like that makes you special. It makes you feel loved by that person. And in a spiritual sense, you know, God does the same thing for us. He invites us to be part of his family. And he does it, the Bible says, initially by knocking on the doors of our homes, which it calls our hearts. And he says, can I come in? And his desire is that each of us would respond with a yes, and we'd allow him into our lives so that he can make his home in us. And so I wanted to start this morning by sharing a testimony of how I got to partner with Jesus recently as someone, um, as he knocked on someone's heart. So some of you will know, last month I went to England with my mum and dad um, to see my grandparents because my granddad has not been well, he's been sick. And on our flight home, we had two legs, the first one from London to Dubai, 
we couldn't get seats together. I was a little bit sad because I was like, I won't have anyone to talk to. Which, if you're an introvert, you're like, finally. Peace and quiet. But for extroverts, we're like, no, who will I speak to for seven hours? So we couldn't get seats together. So mum and dad were together. I was by myself a few rows back. But, so a young couple, I was on the window seat. A young couple came and sat down. And thankfully, the girl, she sat in the middle seat and her boyfriend was on the aisle seat. And you know, like it's a bit awkward on a plane when you're sitting next to people and some people are not very friendly and they just like put their headphones on and they're like, don't talk to me, pose. Yeah, that's Matt, okay? (laughs) And I'm the person next to him being like, hi, hi, say hi. So then I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to need to get out and go to the toilet or stretch my legs. I'll try and be friendly so that hopefully when that time comes, they'll be like, sure, sure, you go. So I said, hi, how are you? Where are you going? You know, the normal stuff. Anyway, so we started chatting, and then just super quick, it just became clear that Jesus was giving me an opportunity to talk to her and to share the gospel. She was just telling me stuff about her life that I'm like, I don't even know you. Like, I literally met you a few minutes ago. Our plane, this is normally not a good thing, our plane was an hour late taking off. So normally you'd be sitting there being like, oh, I'm so annoyed, let's just get going. I got to have my whole conversation from start to finish, including praying for her, before we had even left the runway. (laughs) So I know this about myself, and I've been told I'm not very good at telling quick stories. So I'm going to leave out all of the details of the story. And if you're one of those people who's like, no, I knew. Bex was going to be like, tell me the whole story. I will tell you later. Okay, if you want to know the whole story, I'll tell you later. But there was something that she said near the end of our conversation after I had prayed for her, which I thought was interesting. She said, wow, I've never really heard anyone share about God like that before. She's like, I was really surprised about how confident you are in sharing him. And so I said to her, you know, like a lot of people might think, oh, it's just because you're extroverted. Oh, you know, it's because you have a friendly personality, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that can help for sure. But at the end of the day, I don't share about Jesus with people because of my personality. I do it with confidence, and I say, I'll put in brackets, most of the time, because I don't always feel confident 100% of the time. But I do it because he sees me, and because I know that he loves me, and he wants a personal relationship with me, and so I've become more confident over lots of years because I've become more secure because I've gotten to know him better, yeah? And obviously, it would have been, she didn't get saved right then. It would have been great if she'd been like, I'm ready. Like, what do I need to do? She wasn't ready yet. She said, you know, I don't really know how I feel about everything that you've told me. She's like, but I actually feel really grateful. And she's like, I'm so grateful that we've met. I feel really blessed. And she said, you know, of all the people that I could have sat next to on this plane, I'm so glad it was you. She's like, it just feels like it was meant to be. (laughs) And I was like to the Holy Spirit, like, sure. So why am I sharing this with you today? It got me thinking about intimacy. It reminded me of the effect that intimacy has on our lives and the impact that it has on the lives of others. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, um, God says, only in returning to me and in resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. So I want to talk about how our confidence comes from knowing Jesus and how we can grow in our connection with him. And, you know, intimacy comes from the heart of the father. And this is why I say this is not just a message for the mums. It's not just like, oh, it's intimacy, it's lovey-dovey, it's friendly, it's for all the ladies out there. No, this is something that comes from God's heart. And his desire is that he would know each one of us in a deeper way. 
And so as I've been preparing for this, God's been speaking to me about homes and how from the very beginning of the world right into the future, he's been making homes for us. And so today, I am going to try and get through four. And I know, even when I was doing this, I could hear Matt's voice being like, really, four? Good luck. I'm going to try. We'll see how we go. So I want to look at the four different homes and the purpose of each of them. And so if you're one of those people who's taking notes or you want like a title for this preach, I feel like it's home is where the heart is. So we'll see. So the first home that God made was the Garden of Eden. Now, I just want to, as just, I want to preface everything I'm saying by when I'm talking about homes, I'm talking about good homes. And I know that for some of us, we haven't come from good homes We haven't come from, you know, safe, secure, good example homes. Um, And so that when we think of homes, that doesn't always, you know, that's not the first thing that comes to our minds. But when I'm talking about homes today, I'm talking about ideally what a good home looks like. Does that make sense? So when I think of a good home, one of the first things I think of is a place that makes you feel safe and secure. When I'm at home, I want to feel like I'm loved and accepted by those around me. And in the Bible, that was the Garden of Eden. It's the home that God made for his first children. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 1. God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And I'm going to skip past all the other bits and the animals. And it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, from verse 7 and 8, it shows us how this happened. It gives us more detail. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he placed there the man that he had made. You see, God's intention is clear. From the very beginning, he wanted to be close to humanity because he chose to make us in his image and his likeness. I don't think that you make creations that carry your image if you don't have any intention of interacting with them. God was intimately involved in the making of mankind. And like, if you can use your imagination today, picture him getting down into the dirt, like down on his hands and knees. He scoops up this dirt and he begins to shape and mold it into the form of Adam. He took time and care in fashioning him until he was literally perfect. And then God does this extremely intimate and personal thing. I can see him bending down until his face is right there, almost touching Adam's. And then he goes, and he breathes life. The very first breath that Adam took was from God. And the very first face that he saw was the face of his father smiling down at him. And after God makes Adam and Eve, he creates this amazing home with everything in it that they need for them to enjoy their lives together. And then to top it all off, God comes every day to walk and to talk and to fellowship with them. And it makes me think, no wonder God looked at what he'd made and he was like, this is good. This is really good. And I love that in those moments, Adam and Eve, they were completely content and fulfilled and secure. They weren't uncomfortable at all, even though they had no clothes on. They were free to enjoy God and enjoy the home that he'd made for them as a family. Obviously, we know the story of what happened. We know that they sinned. Sin comes in, shame and guilt come with it, and they hide from God. They no longer felt safe in their home. 
And Genesis 3 verse 8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, but obviously because of sin, they hid from him, they hid from him among the trees. And if you keep reading in chapter 3, you see, because God is so good and he loves us, he provides a sacrifice to atone for the sin and he gives them a covering to hide their shame. And this is a picture of what Jesus did for us when he sacrificed his life on the cross. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that in God's eyes, it's as if we've never even sinned. And in doing that, he restores our dignity to us. You see, humanity was forced out of the garden, that first home that God made. But God wants to restore the intimacy that we had then in a spiritual sense. There's a beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians 13, um, verse 14, and it's actually, you know the beginnings and the ends of the letters? I don't know about you, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I just skip straight past them because I'm like, let's get to the actual letter. This is just the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we can see in this just this one verse, God's heart towards us. Grace, love, and a desire for fellowship. I felt like as I was preparing this morning that there's some of us who are hiding like Adam and Eve in the garden. God's calling your name and he's saying, where are you? And our response is like Adam's, I hid because I was afraid. And I get it, we all have areas in our lives that we'd rather God didn't see. We've all got things that we're not proud of. But the good news is if you are in Christ Jesus, then you don't have to hide anymore. He doesn't want there to be anything that gets in the way of your fellowship with him. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us this. It says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to let the truth of the word wash over you and set you free. You know, people love to quote, maybe you've had this said to you, oh, the truth will set you free. Basically, people just like to use it when they're saying something offensive and then they follow it up with, oh, well, the truth will set you free. Like as if they're implying, like, you really needed to know what I had to say. But what the world doesn't realize is that Jesus is the truth and Jesus will set you free. But he'll set you free of shame and of guilt and of rejection and he'll set you free of your fears and your insecurities, because in the arms of Jesus is the safest place to be. In Ephesians 3, um, from verse 11, I love, I think, I don't want to pick, say it's a favorite scripture, but I feel like this might be one of my favorites. It says, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Um, And it's in that section sort of between verse 11 and verse 19. Oh, cool. Sorry. (laughs) 
So we can see here, like, there's two kinds of knowledge, yeah? Knowledge that's purely cerebral, just brain, head knowledge, and then there's knowing, which involves experience and a heart-to-heart connection. And we can boldly and confidently and courageously approach the throne of God because of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, where is your garden space so that you can meet with God? When was the last time that you went there with him and what did you learn about him? Are you able to be vulnerable in that place? Is there anything that's hindering you that you know that you need Jesus to take away? And I want to encourage you, you know, there's not a specific time to respond. Like we will make time later to respond to things. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, you know that he's on you, you know that he's doing something, respond to him now. We don't want to miss an opportunity where God's moving and he's speaking and just go, oh, but we're in the middle of something, I'll do it later. Do it now. We felt this morning even that God, his angels are ready. There's like a dispatch. And I saw them holding new clothes for people. And they're actually standing. It's like they're in the wings waiting. And there's people this morning that God's highlighting that he's saying, will you receive the new clothes today? Because there's the angelic ready and here to do a supernatural exchange. So if, if you know that's you and you know God's speaking, receive it now. So the second home is the Old Testament home. It's the tabernacle. So good homes should always show us God's pattern for how to live. As a parent, we want to model to our children the right way to live so that they have an example to follow. And God's always been about creating spaces to meet with his people. And so that's why in the Old Testament, he gave instructions to Israel about how to build the tabernacle. Um, Growing up, if I'm honest, I always thought that the books of the Bible that contain the instructions, I was like, they're a bit tedious, they're a bit boring. Like, why all the details? Why so specific? And it wasn't until I got older I realized just how mind-blowing it was that God was trying to create a physical space that he could inhabit. Of course, it had to be perfect. He couldn't just, like any old tent, like, oh, yeah, that's close enough, that'll do. It had to be perfect to house the manifest glory of the Lord. In Exodus 25, verse 8 to 9, God says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I show you. So what was God's intention? That I might live among them. God's heart hasn't changed. Today, he's still saying to each one of us, Will you create a space for me to dwell and live among you? Will you build according to my pattern? We know that because of Jesus, yeah, Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's the guarantee of our salvation. But just having the Holy Spirit and making a home for him, they're two different things. You can, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we cannot be full of the Holy Spirit. In Exodus, once the tabernacle was built exactly to the plans given by God, something glorious happened. And we can see in Exodus 40 from verse 35, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled that place. Moses could no longer enter it because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, we know that there was a cloud that was present in the day and there was a pillar of fire at night. And sometimes I think we forget what that, like we hear it and we're like, oh, that's a cool story. No, no, we're talking like a pillar, 
a giant pillar of, you know, cloud, a roaring column of fire. Imagine how hot a roaring column of fire is, the presence of God. It would have been visible from miles away. If you were traveling past the camp of the Israelites, you would have been able to see that thing and go, God's people are here. How do I know? Because I can see the glory. God wants to presence himself amongst us in the same way. He's desperate to come. But God will come when we build our lives according to his pattern. And we have to make a home that can host who he is. Moses and Joshua, they set an example of what it looked like to pursue God and to obey his commands. Moses wasn't just satisfied with like ticking the boxes. He insisted that God go with them. In Exodus 33, he's talking with God, and it says, The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. But then Moses says back to him, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? And then he says, For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. God's presence in our lives is the evidence that we're building according to his patterns. So what are the clouds and the pillars of fire in your life? How do people know that God's working in and through you? You know, it's getting less and less convenient to be a Christian in the world today, yeah? I mean, God's ways and the world's ways, they've never been compatible but it's becoming really clear that we're in a time in history where you can't build with both blueprints. If you don't believe that the whole Bible is true and relevant today, you're going to struggle to live your life according to God's pattern. 1 John chapter 2 says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, because we know that happens, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. I love this. I love how the Bible's just like, listen up. If someone claims I know God, but they don't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar. <laughs> and not living, I didn't say it, the Bible said it. <laughs> They're not living in the truth. It says, but those who do obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know that we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives through as Jesus did. God expects a lot from the ones he paid for. He didn't buy shares in humanity. He didn't pay for a partial stake. He paid for everything. Yeah, he paid for the whole debt. And he actually expects a whole person and complete obedience in return for his sacrifice. And I know that you can go, whoa, take it easy, that's a bit harsh. But actually, it only sounds harsh if you haven't fully understood what he's done. It's not a fair trade. So we better be getting to know our Bibles well. We better be hearing God's voice clearly. We better be building our lives with integrity. Because God may look at the heart, but people look at the outside. And they need to see Jesus. But the good news is if we do build according to his pattern, God will manifest himself and people will see and God will get glory. All right, so the New Testament home, yeah? So there's the, the garden is the first home. The Old Testament home is the tabernacle. The New Testament home that God built was the vine. 
So another thing that good homes do is they help us to grow into maturity. As a parent, if you're a parent here today, you will know how much time, countless hours that you've spent investing into your children so that they don't just grow up in age, but they also grow into maturity, yeah? We don't want big babies like adults who look like adults but are actually babies. And it sounds funny, but it's true. We don't want immature immature children when they're grown adults. Good parents teach and discipline their children because ultimately they want them to succeed. This is what Jesus says. He says in John 15 from verse 1, I am the true grapevine and my father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. But then he says, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, yeah, so that they will produce even more. He says, you've already been pruned and purified because of the message I've given you. So remain in me and I'll remain in you. He says, a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then from verse 7, he says, but this is cool, yeah. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be given to you. When you produce much fruit, then you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. It blows my mind that we have the same access to the Father that Jesus had. In the same way that the Father revealed his will to the Son, he wants to reveal it to us too. And he's going to prune and shape us so that we can do that better. I think we need to get bold. We need to start asking and seeking and knocking for the things of the kingdom to be manifest in our lives. My kids are really good at this. The only problem is I think they get the order wrong. So like they'll come home from school, they dump their bags on the floor, they run to the pantry, they're like knocking and banging around, like seeking something to find, something to eat. Then after they've already opened a bag of chips and they're like trailing crumbs across the floor, they'll ask and be like, can I have this? I'm like, close. (laughs) Yeah, close. Switch it around. Ask first. But such is the confidence of a child in the house who knows that they're loved. In the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the older son, he was in the home of his father, but he had an orphan spirit and mentality. So he didn't think that he could ask for anything. And he became bitter and jealous towards his younger brother because he felt like the father didn't see him or love him. And then his father says, all that I have is yours, but you didn't ask me for anything. So he was a grown man who was immature in his faith and understanding. He was close in proximity to the father, but he was far away in heart. So how do we remain in Christ so that we know what to ask for? Yeah, If you want your prayers answered, how do we do that? Psalm 100 tells us this. It says, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then it says this, and we know this part quite well. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise him for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. I'm a words person. I was like, what does this mean? When it says come into his presence, the word come, yeah? Same word from John 15, it means to abide, to attain or besiege. The psalmist is telling us, don't just pop in and out. Stay there. Set up camp in that place. We enter his gates. The gates, that's not fancy. It just means an opening or a doorway. Some words 
just mean that thing. But then that same word come is used to come into his courts. And the courts are referring to a yard or a space, but one that's enclosed by a fence or walls. So it's carrying this idea of safety and protection. We walk through the door, yeah, through the gates, but then we abide or we stay in the safe space in God's presence face to face with him. Some translations say acknowledge or know that he is the Lord. That know means to ascertain by seeing, but with assurance and certainty. And I feel like this is not the same thing as looking. We can look at things all day long. You know, you go out every day, you go to work, you're looking at things, your brain is determining what's important and what's unimportant information. But when you focus on something, you switch from looking to seeing. We need to stay in the secret place for long enough that we transition from just looking at God from afar and going, oh yeah, there he is, to actually seeing him. So how are you making time and space? I like ask myself this question. I get it. I understand, you know, we have busy lives. (laughs) We have distractions. It happens, yeah? But the reality is we're never going to come to a point where we just have all the time that we want to spend with Jesus. You're not going to wake up one day and go, huh, no responsibilities. You have to carve out time. It won't make itself. And even when you do make the time, it's easy. it can be easy to slip into that thing of going through the motions. You know, you read a quick verse, you pray a quick prayer, and then you get on with your day. And you haven't really connected with him. You know, do we know the Father's heart? Have we asked him what's on his heart? Are we producing fruit in our lives or have we disconnected a little bit from the vine? Mature Christians don't just ask God only for what they want. They actually ask him, what do you want? They see themselves in the context of the king in the kingdom where Jesus is the center and then everything else finds its place in him. So to bring God glory, we need to be fruitful and to be fruitful, we need to abide. But Matt talked about this the last couple of weeks. What a privilege. What a privilege that the king of a universal kingdom would choose to abide with us. He doesn't have to. He wants to. All right, last one. Whew, I know, I'm nearly there. The last home, yeah, this is exciting. The last home is heaven. See, good homes give us a future and a hope. They give us confidence for what's to come and they make us want to bring others with us. The culmination of God's plan for us as his people ends in heaven and that's the place he's gone to prepare for people who are in his family. John 14 verse 1 to 3 says, there's Jesus speaking. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. Revelation 19 says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you've been married or maybe you're engaged, you're getting married, you'll know how exciting the time leading up to the wedding is. Yeah? To be honest, even if you haven't been married, just being invited to a wedding I feel like is exciting. Maybe the men will relate less to this because you just get to have like a suit and a shirt. Not that exciting, maybe. But the ladies, I feel like we get excited because we're like, yes, I must buy a new dress that no one has yet seen. Yeah? We know you're laughing because you know. And you do your hair and your makeup and we get all excited. 
But let's be honest, all of us love weddings because we know there's going to be food, we know there's going to be drinks, we know there's going to be dancing, and we know there's going to be laughing. So we like weddings because they're a time to celebrate, and we're like, woohoo, fun. In traditional Jewish weddings, I don't, know, I don't know that they looked exactly like our weddings today, but there was three phases, yeah? I'm not going to take time on this because I'm running out of time, but the first phase in a traditional Jewish wedding, I hope there's no one Jewish here, is shudakin. And it's the matchmaking phase. Only I, most people would be like, I'm not even going to say the word. I'm just going to say the thing, but I'm that person. I'm going to try and say it. So this is the first phase where they choose the bride, yeah? Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 4 shows us the New Testament version of this. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are united with Christ. Even before the world began, God loved us and chose us to be in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So we know, we, we know God has chosen us to be part of his family and that collectively, as the church, we're his bride. So the second phase of the Jewish wedding is Erusin, which is the betrothal phase. So this was a one-year period, and basically they spent it in preparation for their new life together. So the groom-to-be, he would go and prepare the future home, and then the bride-to-be, she would prepare herself. And the commitment was so secure in this phase that actually only a divorce that was initiated by the husband, only a husband could um, initiate it, could nullify it. And we know that Jesus will never break his covenant with us. In John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. See, this is the phase we're in right now, yeah, as believers. Until Jesus comes back, there's an expectation that we're preparing ourselves for his return. When you know that this isn't your real home and that you're just passing through, it changes your perspective and your priorities and your motivations because everything that we do is about preparing for eternity. There is joy in knowing that the treasures we're storing up in heaven are of infinitely more value than anything we can gain on earth. And the best treasures, they're people. Unlike the previous three homes that have all had to contend with sin and imperfections, the last home is going to be completely perfect. I just think about how clean heaven will be. So clean. No cleaning. Yeah, it's going to be good. And everything will be where it's meant to be. (laughs) And if nothing else, that should give you joy and excitement and anticipation at the thought of what's to come. People need hope. (laughs) And we can show them where to get it. (laughs) The third phase is Nisuin. It's the wedding day and it's the celebration. It's the one we're waiting for. This is the point where the groom, he comes for the bride and she's ready and she's waiting. Interestingly, it actually only happens after the bride's father has given the command. In a Jewish wedding, the groom doesn't know. Imagine that, grooms. You don't know the day of your wedding. That's so foreign to us. But in the Jewish wedding, the groom didn't know the day or the hour, so he had to always be ready for the announcement. I don't know about you, but I get excited about our future home. A little while ago, Lewis, he's my eight-year-old, we were in the car on the way to church. He always asks me the most existential questions on like our 15-minute drive to church. So we're talking about dying, as you do when you're eight. And he says, you know, mum, I hope I die peacefully in my sleep when I'm really old. But I'm not afraid to die because I know that I'll be with Jesus straight away in heaven. And then he's like, so actually, 
maybe I should just die right now. <laughs> and you know when you're like, no, no, you, no. I was like, one day, one day when you're really old, mate. Yeah, that's awesome. But I love that he's eight and he has already caught this revelation is in Philippians 1.21 where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's eight and he gets it. The good news is there are still invitations to the wedding feast available. Most weddings, they have a cap, yeah, because we can't afford to just invite every single person that we know. But Jesus doesn't have a cap. There's no limit to the number of guests because he's already paid the price for everyone to go. In Matthew 22, Jesus, he tells this parable of the wedding banquet and how the groom's disappointed by the fact that not everybody responds to the invitation. But he doesn't just give up and go, oh, well, never mind. He says to his servants, go, go and find some more people. Go and invite everyone you can find. Anyone who wants to come is welcome. Jesus wants us to invite people to our future home before it's too late. When I met that girl on the plane, yeah, I didn't tell her about Jesus because I had to tell her. I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I have to, I have to, it's the right thing to do, I probably should, you know, I was a good Christian. And No, I did it because I wanted to. I knew I could see in the spirit that Jesus was knocking on the door of her heart and he wanted to come in. And I had the confidence to share that good news with her because I've been with Jesus myself and I know how good he's been to me and I know how good he wants to be to her. Today, Jesus wants to make his home in you. Maybe today you'll invite him in for the first time. And if that's true, we're going to make an opportunity in a minute for you to respond. If you know he's knocking and you've never let him in, today is your day. <laughs> but maybe you already know him. Maybe you already have a relationship with him. And so today, you're just going to invite him in deeper. In the garden... God leads us into freedom and he makes us safe and secure. And in the tabernacle, he teaches us how to build our lives according to his pattern. In the vine, we abide in Christ as he prunes and he shapes us into mature believers. And then as we look to heaven, he instills in us a hope at the joyful future that's awaiting us. I know that for all of us, we're in different stages of our journey with Jesus so our homes are going to look different to other people's. And that's okay. We don't all have to look the same. But the important thing is that we allow the Holy Spirit to keep working in us and through us. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to live a life of confidence, first you have to let Jesus in, and then you can let him out. That's why home is where the heart is. And that's why faith begins in our hearts and not in our heads. And it's why Jesus makes his home in our hearts and not in our heads. Wonderful. Should we pray? Yeah. Let's stand. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus, we just want to thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are so good all the time that you don't even know how to be anything but good. And I thank you that you've made us, that you've fashioned and formed each one of us, and that you take great pride and great care in each one of us, and you want to know us personally. 
And Lord, I thank you that wherever we're at today, that there's an invitation from you to go deeper, that you still continue to knock on our hearts. You still continue to say, can I come in? And we want to be a people who have soft hearts who say, yes, Lord, come in. Come in and be with us. Come in and be with me. Come in and change my life. Help me to be more like you. We don't want to leave this place having just heard a nice message, but then we're not changed. So Holy Spirit, we just choose to partner with you this morning. We choose to open up our hearts and allow you to do what you want to do, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to each one of us on an individual level this morning about how we can respond? We're all in different spaces. We're all in different stages. But for each one of us, you're there. You're there in that space. You're there in that place alongside us. And so I pray that you would speak to us today so that we know how to respond. questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.